Thank you for being here today. We are starting a new sermon series today on prayer. It is called Teach Us to Pray. You may have heard in the scripture that Janae read for us, there's a really humble question that this unnamed disciple asks of Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, when I was a kid, uh, prayer was something that happened in, in the confines of the church, within the space that I went to on Sundays with my family. We would pray the Lord's Prayer together, which is what we're going to be looking at. We're actually going to be studying the Lord's Prayer line by line throughout the season of Lent. And I got to say, like, I didn't really understand the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, and I wouldn't say I fully understand it even now, but it was something that I was taught to say. It was something that I could sort of mouth the words to. I could hear the cadence and how people prayed it. But in terms of actual personal prayer to God, that wasn't something that I really knew how to do or experienced. Closest thing I got to that was at the dinner table when my mom or my dad would pray for our meal, something that uh, is a tradition that we continue in our family. But I say all that to say there's a lot of people who still have this kind of like distant relationship with prayer, where it's something that others do. It's something that you do in the context of a space like this, or it's just kind of something you grew up with. But as far as making it personal, that's not really a thing for most people. There was a Pew Research survey recently that said 59% of Americans say they pray at least daily. It was on the frequency of prayer. So Pew wasn't asking, like, are you praying for other people? Are you praying for yourself? They were just asking, how frequently do you pray? So Americans self-report 59% pray regularly, pray daily. 23% of Americans say, I never pray at all. I just, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I actually think for the church, we're somewhere in the middle. I think some of us would say, when the chips are down, when I am frustrated, when I feel pressure at work, or when I'm in a conflict with my spouse, later on, after this inciting event, I, yes, I will pray. And depending on how stressful your life is, maybe that happens daily. Maybe you're part of that 59%. But I, I worry for that 23% too because I go, you know what's probably happened to some of those folks? And I know this has happened in the church because people have told me about this. They gave up on prayer. They said, I tried praying and it didn't work. I asked God to heal my family member who had cancer and they still died. I asked God for a new job and it took forever and it wasn't the job that I wanted. And I, ugh, I've tried prayer. It didn't work. I think that's a bit of a shadow side of the people of the church because we can be around prayer. We can be adjacent to prayer and go, that's working for me. I don't actually have to be involved in that. Someone else is doing it on my behalf. But that prevents us from stepping into what I really think is the heart of today's passage, is that Jesus longs to teach us to pray. He longs to welcome us into this dialogue with him, with God the Father. But we opt ourselves out of it because we think it doesn't work or we think I'm too busy to pray. How would I even begin to make time for prayer? That's nice that pastors say I should do that, but how does that practically land in my life? Well, one of the things I'm excited for for this series is we're going to get really practical about prayer. And you just did, by the way, by writing down these requests, which we will pray for at the end of our service. So if prayer feels nebulous to you, if prayer feels like something that is just not working for you, or if it's something that you feel like is really vital to your life, I hope there are just different ways for us to interact with this theme as we get into today's text. So 
I'm, I meant to use those, but I'm going to blast through them later. Here's your outline. We're going to talk about what is prayer. We're going to define our terms. We're going to look at the text and see two themes really rise from the text, the importance of humility and the importance of place. Where and when do you pray? And then we're going to talk about next steps. So what is prayer? How do we even begin to talk about something like prayer? Prayer is simply dialogue with God. Dialogue with God. Dialogue meaning prayer is a two-way street. The Bible presents us examples over and over and over again of this, that when people are having a conversation with God, it's a back and forth. It's not just a, I offer these prayers to God, and then there's crickets chirping and nothing happens. No, there is a real vital relationship with God, where he is speaking and the people listen, and where the people are speaking and God is listening and God is receiving. Sometimes when we think about prayer, we picture things from pop culture, We think of Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby praying at the dinner table. I mean, these are just really silly, but I think a little bit kind of true reflections of how a lot of people think about prayer. But Ricky Bobby isn't a dialogue with God. Ricky Bobby is presenting a form of prayer that is demonstrative, which actually Jesus warned against. Remember, he taught his disciples, when you pray, go pray in private. Don't pray as the Pharisees pray for everyone to be seen and heard. No, no, no. He says, do it in such a way where your one audience is God. It's not the people around you. It's not Will Ferrell at the dinner table. It's toward the Lord. Prayer is dialogue with God. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Moses, he's praying on behalf of the people when they turn their backs on God. He intercedes for them. If you read through the Psalms, so many of them are these wonderful prayers that David and others wrote to praise God, to lament before God, to call for help from God. If you ever get stuck in prayer, by the way, open up the Psalms. Read a Psalm as if you were praying those words. It's phenomenal how God uses the Psalms to teach me to pray. When we studied the book of Job last year, we heard a lot of dialogue between Job and God. Those are prayers. That's Job wrestling with his suffering, wrestling with his pain and his distress right before God. That's a form of prayer. In the New Testament, leaders like Peter and Paul, their letters are filled with prayers for their churches, for these wonderful communities of people that they loved and they missed. I'm praying for you daily. I think of you often. But the ultimate guide, the ultimate leader for all of us in prayer is Jesus. And the prayer that he offers to his disciples, the Lord's Prayer, as it's come to be known, it's majestic. It's beautiful. It's all-encompassing. It's inspiring, but it's also earthy. It's down in the dirt with people. But here's the one thing I want us to think about as we just, like, briefly close our definition of prayer. There's a lot of different ways to pray. There's a lot of different forms of that. We'll talk about that over the next few weeks. We get ourselves into trouble. I get myself into trouble when I overcomplicate prayer. Prayer is really simple. Richard Foster wrote a wonderful book simply called Prayer, and this is one of my favorite quotes from his book. He says, prayer simply involves ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving and compassionate Father. Those two baskets and the yellow slips of paper are exactly that. Ordinary people ordinary requests that we're going to bring before a loving Father. There is no pretense in simple prayer. We do not pretend to be more holy, more pure, or more saintly than we actually are. We do not try to conceal our conflicting and contradictory motives from God or ourselves. And in this posture, we pour out our hearts to the God who is greater than our heart and who knows all things. 
I love the way that he alludes to just this intimacy of this relationship with God, that there's a knowledge that God has of us, and there's an invitation to bring our requests to him, not because we're going to surprise God with something we say to him, no, because he delights in hearing the dialogue, because that's good enough. Maybe, maybe you experience this sometimes. I, I don't know if I want to pray right now because I don't think I'd get the words quite right. Or, I, you know, it's like I was telling you about my friend in college. Oh, it's silly to ask God to pray for your quiz. What is a quiz? It's not that big a deal. I think God longs to hear us pray whatever prayers we bring to him. When Jesus said, let the little children come to me, that is an image of prayer. That is people simply coming to a loving parent, a loving father in this case, and saying, hey, this is what's on my mind. Unvarnished, un- not perfect. I'm, I might stutter. I might miss a word. I might use the wrong preposition. Heaven forbid. It's simply from the heart. That's, let us not overcomplicate prayer. Let us remember it is just speaking from the heart. Now, let's talk about humility. This is where we're going to look at the passage again. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So a little bit of context. This is located right in the middle of Luke's gospel. Jesus is well on his journey of ministry. We're not getting close to the cross quite yet. Jesus' disciples have grown, so he had the original 12. Now there are 70 that he has just sent out. And the remaining group of disciples are with him after a series of different ministry events, and he takes time to go pray. Now, we will talk about this first line here. He was praying in a certain place in just a sec. But there's a couple things I want to highlight, particularly around the question, the dialogue that this unnamed disciple presents to Jesus. He says, teach us to pray. Say that with me. Teach us to pray. When you ask someone to teach you something, you are admitting that they know more about it than you do. You went to class when you were in high school. You went to college, many of us. You didn't go because you thought you knew everything. Or if you did, you went for the wrong reasons. You went to learn. You went to have someone teach you something. You recognized that in you there was more that you could learn about a particular subject. This disciple has the humility to come to Jesus and say, this thing that you're doing, I'm really intrigued by it. How? Tell me more. What are you doing here? I love the humility when people of faith come into a conversation and they say, hey, I'm hearing about this thing and I've never encountered it before. Like, help me learn about this. I'm hungry to learn more about it. That hunger, that humility honors God in our prayers. Jesus prayed enough that the disciples noticed it. He was praying in a certain place, the implication being it was often enough that they picked up on this pattern like, oh, Jesus is off praying again. Oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Another implication here is that the disciples' own hold on prayer, how they encountered prayer at this time, it wasn't doing it for them. There was a deficit. You don't ask about a practice if you feel really good about where you're at with that practice. You ask about it to grow your understanding of it, to grow your own experience of it. This disciple, whoever this person was, came to Jesus with this request like, I don't really feel like I'm having the best experience in prayer, Jesus. Would, would you let me learn from you? How many of us have had that experience? Where we've been through a season in life where we're like, geez, I couldn't pray if you forced me to. I'm too tired. My kids have been needy or my job has been demanding of me. I don't have it in me. Think of this as a similar situation where this disciple is basically saying, there's more that I want to be able to do here. 
I know I don't have that potential just yet. The disciple desired to be closer to God. This person had the humility to kind of seek through this conversation a lesson, a learning, a nugget of of information or of transformation around prayer that moves them forward. So if you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus this morning, which I think is most of you, would you agree with that? Is there more that you could learn about prayer? If you feel kind of settled and content in your prayer life, that's great. I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Here in 2023, the frustrations and the interruptions and the distractions from robust prayer are more than have ever been in human history. And my concern as a pastor, as a shepherd, as someone who loves this church and loves this community, is that we are too quick to give ourselves to distractions and we miss the opportunity that this disciple found to sit with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to be instructed in the ways of Jesus through prayer. And some of it begins with our expectations. When we take a humble posture toward prayer, we recognize that our expectations around prayer might be wrong. We talked about this last week with the rich young ruler. Remember, he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He came to Jesus like Jesus was a spiritual vending machine. Like, I put in a couple quarters, Jesus, where's my Coke? And that's not how Jesus works. That's not how the gospel works. When we practice prayer and we keep it simple and we think, this is just fellowship with God. I don't have to have a perfect phrasing of this. I don't have to say it just right. Then we're getting closer to the heart of prayer, which I believe can be summarized this way. The goal of prayer is fellowship with God, not necessarily getting what we want. We'll expand on this more in the weeks to come, but if you would put yourself in that category of someone who would say, I tried prayer and it didn't work, I would challenge you to say, you are focusing here, getting what you want, and not here. On fellowship. On simply delighting in who God is. Now, there is a time and a place to pray passionately for something that you want. What you want, what you desire, what you long for matters deeply to God. I'm not negating that. But I'm saying, what's your expectation? What's your hope? Is your hope that the dream and the idea and the picture and the vision that you have in your head comes to life? Or is your desire to be so close to the Father that what He wants is what is stirred up in you and what what is brought to life in and through your life? It may seem like there's kind of a fine line between the two there. The older I get, the further along in faith I get, the more I realize these are two different worlds. Desiring fellowship versus desiring what I want. So I invite you, as we have time a little bit later on, to pause and reflect. Are you coming to Jesus with humble expectations in your prayers that he's going to answer how he wants to? Or are you convinced that your script is the only thing that should come to fruition? Because one pathway is going to lead you to contentment and one pathway is going to lead you to agony. Now, let's get... Real practical here. We've talked about humility. Now we need to talk about place, a humble attitude, a humble heart coming before God. There's a great way to start with prayer. One of the barriers that all of us encounter when we think about prayer, when we consider the role of prayer in our lives, is place. Not just physical location, but setting, time. Where are you in your day and in terms of your own engagement with prayer? 
This harkens back to the very first phrase. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. I, I just kind of wanted to imagine this week what might that have looked like? What might Jesus' place of prayer look like? So, thanks to the goodness of the internet and Google image search, I think I found a good spot. This is the Mount of Precipice in Nazareth, modern-day Israel. Where was Jesus from? Nazareth. This is his backyard. It's a beautiful view of rolling countryside and farmland and, you know, take away the towns, take away civilization. I think that's a baseball diamond. Take that out. This is not what Jesus would have seen necessarily, but it's like that. How many of you, when you see this, you're you're like me, you go, man, I could just go sit up there. I could just sit up there and take in the majesty of God's creation. I would be so content just to pop up a lawn chair or just sit on one of those rocks and just listen. Listen for what the Lord wants to say. Some of you might be thinking, that sounds great. Some of you are thinking, that sounds terrible. I, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself with given that much time. Well, that's part of the problem. I think when Jesus withdrew, he sought places like this. Because remember, he's fully God, fully human. Human beings, when given the opportunity to, will choose distraction. But God has so ordered creation, nature, that there are places like this where we can just be and not be distracted and be with him, and be ministered to simply by what God has done in his beautiful artistic vision of the world. Where and when you pray matters. Not all of us can get away every single day to the Mount of Precipice or a similar place in our world to pray. But you can create something like this in your life. One of my good friends from seminary, uh, when they started seminary with us, they downsized. So they had a home, they sold their home to kind of pay for his seminary tuition, and they rented out this little, little condo. I went and visited him there one time. It was up in Lake Forest Park. And so it was him and his family of five. I think the condo was about 700 square feet. It was tight. So three little kids, my friend Matt, his wife, they're a great family, they're wonderful. And I'm like, Matt, like, where do you go to, like, get, get some you time? Like, this is tight, man. This is how people in New York City live. And he pointed to the back deck, this little bitty patio that they had on the back of their apartment. And I looked out there, and there were moving boxes over here, and there were a couple of mountain bikes hung over here, and then there was this little, like, three-foot-by-three-foot space. And he had a camping chair, and he had a little bitty place where he could put his coffee cup. And he'd carved out three-foot-by-three-foot just for him to sit there so he could pray. And he sat out there (laughs) year-round. Like, he didn't let the weather bother him. He needed that solitude. He needed that alone time, right? When you got three little kids running around your house, I get it. He created that space that I think really honored God and enriched his relationship with God. He didn't make excuses and say, oh, my kids are too busy and blah, blah. No, I need this space. I need my three foot by three foot. Do you have that? Do you have a special place? Jesus instructed his disciples, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, take away all the distractions. There's nothing glamorous about this. It doesn't have to look like the Mount of Precipice. But there's a richness and a depth that God can bring into our lives when we make space to pray, like my friend Matt did. How about you? How about us? 
some of my spots, some of my spaces. We have a couch in our front living room that I just kind of have my little spot where I love to sit. Most of the time, this is in the mornings. We got a gas insert for our fireplace, which is glorious. Just press the button, turn it on, and I can sit there with my coffee, and I have my journal, and I can just pray, and it's great. When the weather's nice, I love to sit on our back porch and just kind of watch the sunlight come through the trees. Those are a few of, of my spots. What about you? Have you given yourself permission to create a spot, to create a time? For me, when people are all, when everyone else in my house is asleep is like my prime time. Like, I love that time. Maybe you can create a space like this in the middle of your workday. Maybe it's a more of a nighttime thing. You're kind of more of a night owl. That's great. What does it look like to create that space for yourself so you can commune with God? Other places that we pray in our family, I pray with my kids every night before they go to bed. I sit on their bed and I hold their hands and I just pray for them for whatever God is doing in their life, whatever hopes and dreams we may have for them. And it's just kind of become something that we're used to as a family. We pray together at our dinner table. My spouse and I pray together. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying if you want to start working on prayer, look for these opportunities with the people that are right around you, right around you. It's never too late to start a routine and a rhythm of prayer. Sometimes when I'm driving around, uh, if I have a few minutes in between different things, I'll actually pull over somewhere beautiful, like Juanita Beach or O.O. Denny Park or St. Edwards, and I'll just sit and use that time for prayer. And I don't say that to say, look how saintly I am. I say that to say, you could do that too if you gave yourself permission to slow down and say, I have time. I, have, I, got, I got five minutes. I can pull over. We live in a beautiful part of the world. Do we enjoy it as a theater for prayer, as a venue for prayer? I think we could. I think we could. I want to mention this before we move on. There is a time and a place for multitasking in prayer. So I drive around to see you guys and to go to different meetings and all that. Oftentimes when I'm in the car, I'm driving and I'm praying because that's dialogue with God. Please don't negate the importance of being able to do something while you pray. You don't have to have this beautiful scene and this setting that that's the way that you have to pray. No, no, no. That's a good way to pray. There's a depth to that. But if you're driving somewhere, if you're driving to a doctor's appointment and you're worried about it, talk to God while you're driving. If you're walking your kids to school and then you walk home, that's a great time for prayer. If you have a commute to your job, instead of a podcast, what if during this season of Lent, like Aaron mentioned, you give up the podcast and you use that time to talk to God? We have these spaces. Let us create more prayer opportunity in those spaces. My encouragement for all of us is to set a simple goal for the remainder of Lent. And it's this. If you can set a timer in your kitchen or on your phone or however you set a timer, set a timer for 10 minutes every day. And either use that 10 minutes for one of two things, to be silent before God or to pray. 10 minutes every day. If you, again, if you already have a great prayer routine, just add this in. But people can be intimidated by the size of prayer and I don't know what to pray and I feel awkward. Well, if you got a 10-minute timer, it's going to be over pretty quick. So give yourself permission just to give that a shot. Ten minutes. 
Let's set simple goals, because remember, we want to keep prayer simple. If you want resources about how to grow your engagement with prayer, I'd love to talk to you about that. We are going to be doing this together here as a church, as I mentioned. That's a couch. I forget why I put that in there. I didn't get a chance to clean up my slides this week. Here we go. That simple goal at the bottom, 10 minutes for prayer and solitude. I want to encourage all of you to do that. Place matters. Think about where you are when you do this. Where can you create this space? And then finally, this is just an encouragement for all of us because I know many of us struggle with this. If you have a humble approach to prayer, you're going to be willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to get this right, right off the bat. Like if you've never developed a rhythm for prayer, please don't worry about getting it right. It's going to take a while to get a feel for how you speak to God and, and who you are as you pray. Like be patient with yourself. If you feel like you messed up and you said something wrong or, heaven forbid, you said a four-letter word in your prayer, well, you know, God's heard worse. He can handle that. Like, don't let those excuses get in your way, church. I want more for us. I want us to be an increasingly prayerful church. And I believe not just this sermon series, but this focus in prayer and our worship, this opportunity that we have when we're in small groups to spend time praying for one another. These things matter to God. You matter to God. Your life matters to him. The dialogue that you have with him is his great treasure. So I hope and I pray that we will engage with that more and more in the weeks to come. So we're going to turn our attention now uh, to singing one more song, and then we will pray together. So I invite you to stand, and we'll pray together as we make this turn to a time of worship. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for letting us be in this space. Thank you for this word from your son about prayer, about the opportunity that we have for dialogue with you. And it can be really simple, like the prayer that you taught to your disciples, which we'll pray at the end of our service. It's so simple. But we long for more of that in our lives. So help us as we sing, would you be glorified? And then in a moment as we pray, would you just delight over what uh, we as humble people can offer to you. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's continue in worship.